So we're talking foundations. Um, you know as well as I do that a house without a good foundation isn't going to work well. In fact, if you've ever been a part of a, a home build, um, if you've ever known somebody that's constructed a house or if you've had a home that's built, you know that the most important part, they will tell you, if we don't get the foundation right, uh, nothing else works. And, and that's exactly how it works in family. If we can't get the foundation right, nothing is going to work on building a strong, healthy family like we want to do. Foundation's important. Uh, two foundation stories. We build houses a lot in Honduras where we go up and we'll spend a week building wooden houses for families. Really, really cool thing to do when you're doing a mission trip. We love doing it. When we build the foundation of the little wooden houses, you have to, and it's amazing. We, we build houses with a chainsaw, tape measures, a level, and post hole diggers. And that's it. Um, hammers and nails. And, and that is it. But we can level up and, and get a house square where the foundation is level, just, just straight on with a bunch of 4x4 four four posts where you build a house. If you're off... Any amount, by the time you finish that house, that house is going to be so crooked. There's going to be gaps. There's going to be holes. A couple of years ago, we had some interns up there that said, we've got this. We can do this. Give us an opportunity to take a crew and build a house. And they did best they could, but they didn't realize that if they did not get the post started at the beginning, straight and level, and the foundation done correctly, that the house wouldn't work. They knew how to build a house. They just missed that part. They got finished. I remember driving by and one of the missionaries there said, we've got to take that one down and rebuild it because uh, you cannot put a family in a house that's that bad. There were gaps and holes and cracks and crevices. Um, it's just that way. Breckenridge, Texas is, is kind of a neat place. I don't know if you've ever been there. There was a lady here a while ago from Breckenridge. I don't know if she stuck around or not. But I love going, yeah, I love going to Breckenridge and teaching some classes. We've done that quite a bit. And one of the things that always amazes me, my, my friend that preaches there, Don Nelson, he was giving me a tour the first time through Breckenridge and showing me around. And he showed me, looked up on a hill, and I said, now that's some nice office buildings right there. It is a beautiful place with a lot of glass windows. And he goes, I, I said, what do they rent that out for? What kind of business is it? And he goes, it's, it's vacant. It's empty. And I said, are you kidding me? And I said, can they not rent it? And he goes, no. I said, the, the foundation, the structure is not safe. They didn't get the foundation right to start the whole thing. And they got it finished. And, and they can't even move people in and can't even rent it out because it wasn't done right from the beginning. And I remember thinking, man, millions of dollars in project done because foundation wasn't right. Look at what Jesus says about foundation. Um, in, I actually think I have it on the board for you. I do. We'll just... Uh, I can't see that board. Actually, I got it right here. Uh, let me read it to you. You read it from the Bible, and let's go from that. Do you need it right here? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. That's the kind of foundation you want. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. Now, here's the, here's the other option you've got when you don't build it the way God says to build it is you have a foolish man, and uh, it says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not... My eyes aren't that good. <laughs> 
and does not put my words into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the streams rose, and the winds blew. The same storm came that came on the other house, but this house fell with a big crash because its foundation was not solid. So how do we build, a, how do we build families with a solid foundation? What are some things that have got to be key ingredients to healthy Christian families that God says, this is a necessity? We want to share with you about 11 of those while we've got about, uh, uh, about 50 minutes to go. Here we go. Uh, irrational love. Irrational love. Now, the reason we say irrational love and not just love is because God's love is not just love. We love everything these days, right? We love ice cream and pizza and our kids, you know, and, and we, you know, we, we know we love our kids more than we love ice cream and pizza, but we use the same word. God's love wasn't a love for pizza and a love for ice cream. God's love was an irrational. It was a, it was a love that doesn't make sense. And when, when we're told, hey, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we're to have a love that's patient and kind, and you go down the list of things, it's an irrational love. It's a love that doesn't make sense. God's love is a love that says, I love them enough, I sent my son to die for them. That doesn't make sense to me. Does it to you? I, I can't comprehend a love like that. A love that says, I love these people enough that I'd let my kids, one of my kids, I... I would die for some folks, but I'm not giving my kids' life up for anybody. God's love was that deep. So when you're looking at irrational love in a family, let's talk about that for a second. Now, you know as well as I do that anybody who has been a parent would tell you, I, if a doctor came in and said, your child is not going to live Unless you give up something from your body that's going to cause you to die, and we surgically put it in your child's body so they can live, every parent would say, where do I sign up? I'm good to go. I don't have to pray about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to write pros and cons on a list. Where do I sign up? Because that's our kids. That's the kind of love God wants in our families. Not just an I'll die for you love, but also, and I'll live for you, love. And sometimes that's even harder. Loving your kids when they make mistakes, you want to peach their heads off, right? Loving your kids when they say things you wish they wouldn't say. You know, we talked yesterday, love spells, you spell love a lot of different ways for, for family love, irrational love. Love is spelled time, T-I-M-E, we talked about that. Love is also spelt rules, R-U-L-E-S. And if you love your children, you will give them rules. thought it was interesting, 85% of all college students, college kids said, our parents were not strict enough on us. Love is spelt rules. Love is spelt touch, T-O-U-C-H. Um, love is spelt... Do I have any more? Listen, L-I-S-T-E-N. Love is spelled listen. Listen to your kids when they talk to you. Um, love, an irrational love. A love that says, I would do whatever it took to keep you alive. No matter what you do in life, 
I'm never going to draw a sand that says, hey, if you cross this, my love stops for you. The prodigal son broke his father's heart, but he never stopped loving him. The love was always there. He didn't kick the kid out. The boy chose to leave. But he said, my love is always there. And he greeted him open arms when he came home. Let's keep going. Uh, number two, we talked about communication yesterday, but we also want to throw in here real quick again today that communication needs to be communication with kindness and grace. Or, yeah, just communication. That's We don't call names. We don't, you know... You don't call somebody a clod or a dummy or, a, you know, why can't you get this through your thick skull? Communication needs to include kindness with our kids and with our spouse. We'll talk about that tomorrow because one of the things that will just blows you away in the Song of Songs is how much they communicate and they use not words that, that, that put each other down but build each other up. We need to do a good job communicating. Let's keep going. There are no black sheep, no favorites in, in healthy families. No black sheep, no healthy, no favorites. Meaning you don't look at one kid and go, why can't you be more like your big sister? You know why they can't be more like their big sister? God didn't create them that way. Sometimes we have, we're really bad about telling our kids, I, I just wish you were more like so and so. You know, God gave you the kids he gave you to work with the kids he gave you because you needed them and they needed you. Isn't it amazing how all our kids have different personalities? Uh, they're so much alike, are they not? If you have multiple kids, your kids are so much alike, yet they are so different. Worst thing you can do, if you, if you still have small kids, worst thing you can do, you know this rule. Don't ever get in a car loaded with your kids and go, hey, where do y'all want to go eat? They're all going to have different suggestions, and they're all going to argue about it. Youngest one's going to go, I want to go to McDonald's. One of the other boys in our car is going to go, that's the most disgusting food ever. I'd never eat there. One of the kids are going to go, I want to go to a buffet because he eats about, his is quantity. He's not really worried about quality. He's a teenager. Mama's over here going, I just want to go somewhere with some atmosphere, Right? To me, atmosphere is a Greek word for expensive. And I'm thinking more like McDonald's with a young one, right? But mama's really over here just going, I just want to go somewhere where I'm served and I don't have to fill my own plate. But we all have different things. If you sit down, your kids go, hey, where y'all want to go on vacation? Everybody wants to go somewhere different. God gave them all different personalities. And he says, you as parents, learn to love them the way they're created to be. Ask them about strong-willed children. Any of y'all have raised a strong-willed child or are raising a strong-willed child? Yes, we, we have one of those as well. From day one, he thought he knew how to do anything there was to do, whether he'd ever done it before. He was convinced he already knew how to do it, and he didn't need any help. Uh, if he wanted to fix his own chocolate milk and I did it for him, he would undo it and redo it because he was determined he was going to do it and he didn't want any help. Uh, Strong-willed child children, as y'all know, can be extremely difficult. Uh, 
If ours had been born first, he probably would have been an only child. Yes, y'all y'all have. Y'all all have one have, of those. When he was little, when he was little, the sweet, I mean, everyone knew he was, a, you just know strong-willed children. You do. You know, when they're in the pew with you, it's like, I'm going to take him outside and whip him, you know, and he's over here like, that sounds good. As long as it gets me out of here, let's go. Um, <laughs> And, and I mean, yeah, I had sweet little old ladies at church who would go, have you tried Dobson's strong-willed child uh, book? on?" And I said, I've read it, and it works better when I beat him with it, you know? <laughs> but, but God gave us our strong-willed child love. Yeah. You can't discipline them the same way as the other children. Uh, there's just a different set of rules, and those of y'all that have one, you know that. Uh, but there was never a time that we said, why can't you be more like? your older brothers who are easier. We didn't, we didn't never say that, but you know, there were times we might've thought it, but we never made him feel like, you know, you are just way too different for our family. We love him. God made him the way he wanted him to be. And, and he's a brilliant young adult today and we wouldn't change anything about him. That's exactly right. So remember when you're talking about foundations and healthy families, we don't come around and go, I wish you were more like this child or I wish you were more like that child. Uh, you, you don't have black sheep. You don't have favorites. Uh, if you ever want to read about a dysfunctional, unhealthy family, read the stories of, of Isaac and, and, and the, the, the wives of Jacob and his wives and the favorites that they played with each other. And it, it, There's just so much dysfunction there. Uh, make sure your children all know that they are very, very special and you love them for the way that God created them. Some of them, you're going to have to discipline, as Lee said, different than others. Discipline's got to be a part. We had, we had one we could look cross-eyed at and just go, I'm really disappointed in you. And you'd have thought we'd killed him. That was all it took. And, and then we had others that, you know, it was like, yeah, beat him with a strong-willed child book. You know, it's not working. Uh, and so you, you just, you discipline, you treat them, and love them. That's, that's just all that you can do. And, and you raise that child as he was given to you or she was given to you as God said, hey, I need to put this child in your family, and you love them and bless them that way. Number four, there's a high priority on God. Now, I want you to understand something real quick. And I actually did it this way on purpose. This should be number one. But I think if you start at number one, you don't pay attention to it as much. And so we'll throw it down here at number four. This is not a list of importance. These are just 11 things. And so just because we say number four, put a high priority on God, this is really the first thing on the list. The, thing with the, the, the story Jesus told the wise people was <laughs> they were wise because they heard the words of Jesus and how to do things in life the way Jesus said do them and they put them into action. Everything else fails if you can't get this one right. A high pri Our families today don't need a little dose of God. They need a huge dose of God. And one of the things that's kind of scary is what we've done is we've invited God to be a part of our families instead of center of our family. And what that means is, is we've kind of come along and said, God, here's our schedule, and here's our plans, and here's what we want, and here's our vision and our dreams, and we want you to fit in with this. And that's kind of, honestly, that's not how God works. It's like the story I heard years ago of the guy that bought the fancy painting, paid 
thousands upon thousands of dollars from the artist and said, I want you to come help me sit this in my living room because I want this to be the focal point of everything in my living room. And the guy said, I'll be there in two weeks and help you do that. During the meantime, he kind of found a nice place on the fireplace. The, the, the artist came over and he said, you know, I really kind of like it on the fireplace. Kind of, you walk in, you look at the fireplace, and there's the painting that I paid for that you did. And the guy said, no, it doesn't work that way. And he said, I don't understand what you mean. He said, well, you've had all your furniture and all your stuff already in here. All your life is here, and you have said, I want my painting to fit in with my stuff. But if you really want to set the picture the way it's supposed to be, you're going to clear out everything in this room, and you're going to come in and figure out where the picture needs to be to be the center of the room, and then you're going to move everything bounce back in the room where it belongs. That's how you do it. That's what God wants. God doesn't want to be a part of the room. God wants to be the center of your room. God doesn't want to be a part of your family. He wants to be the center of your family. He wants all your activities to revolve around Him, not to be one of the things that revolves around all your activities. It's not always easy to do. Sometimes that causes problems because then you're having to go, well, are we doing this or are we doing this? Which one of those two would God want us to do? And that's not easy to do. God doesn't want to be part of or one of many. He wants to be the only. Can you imagine if I, can you imagine if I told you in my wallet... I have a picture of my wife, and, and, but right behind her picture, I have some pictures of my old girlfriends from college and high school. Now, now my wife's picture's on top, and I'll show you her picture, but I keep those other ones behind her picture. She's first, but yes, those are second and third and fourth. You'd be going, yeah, that don't work that way, and, and no, it doesn't work that way. But we do that with God a lot of times. We come along and we go, I want God number one in my life, but I want this number two and this number three and this number four. God says, I want to be the only part, and then you bring everything else in. Work the rest of your life around me. If, if you're a parent with a small, if you're, if you're parents with small kids, and, and if you're not, if you're like us and we've raised kids and we're almost flying empty nest, or if you're grandparents in this, I want you to listen to something for a second. I want to read you something, and then we'll move on to our next point. Getting small kids up for church on Sundays is a very tough thing to do. And kids aren't always easiest to drag out of bed. It's, it's like Saturday mornings, they want to get up at 6 a.m., and on Sundays, they want to sleep in. Anybody else ever discovered that? The one morning you need to get up and go to church, you always seem to find your hands around the necks of the kids you love going, we got to go to church and learn about Jesus. And you're stuffing arms in dresses and you're trying to get kids in car seats and you've acted nothing like Jesus trying to get them there. And you get up there and everybody's frustrated and, and, and maybe you've just had a long morning and you thought, I do not know why I'm here. I'm going to get nothing out of this. And you get them to Bible class, and you get to have a little bit of time in which you go to Bible class. And then they all come piling in, and maybe they bring their friends. And maybe you've got six kids under the age of five on your pew. And you're going, man, I'd love to listen this morning, and you know it's not going to happen. But I want to remind you that despite the fact that you may not be able to sing without checking somebody to make sure they're not coloring on something they're not supposed to, 
You may not be able to focus a whole lot on the sermon and what is going on. I want you to understand that God is smiling because you're there. You won because you made it. You did it. You brought kids, not just to any kids, you brought his kids. And you didn't just bring them to your church, you brought them to his church. And you need to realize something valuable. Sometimes the quality of worship for young parents isn't about, isn't the most important thing to God. Maybe it's the desire to be in a worshiping place, to train your children in the way they should go. And your example and routine will become their example and their routine. And your choice to get up and go to church will become their choice to get up and go to church. And you'll do it over and over and over. And you're going to wonder, is it worth it? It is a pain sometimes. And then they'll graduate from college or from high school. And they'll go to college. And your biggest fear, you're going to be going, do I call my kid and tell him, hey, it's Sunday morning? It's time to get up and go to church. Or do they just know because that's just what we have always done. We go to church. That's what it's supposed to be. And if you sit on a pew and a family full of kids comes and sits around you somewhere and they're loud and they're noisy and some mama tries hard to wrestle three kids to keep them quiet, you just be reminded that God listens to those kids and he probably thinks, he probably stops angels at times and says, y'all hush, you're singing. I'm listening to these little kids down here talk about me or draw a picture about me or sing about me. Because God loves it when those kids are there, even on times when you struggle to get them there. They are watching and they are learning. Number five, train your children to love others. Train your family to love others. Train your children to love all colors of people. That, like God, it doesn't matter if they're red or yellow or black or white. Everyone is precious in His sight. That it doesn't matter what religion, in a sense, they are to treat them kindly and with respect. That they don't have to be from the same culture. They don't have to be from the same country. They don't have to be from, speak the same language. They do not have to have the same uh, uh, educational background from the same class of people. You wonder where racism comes from? It starts in the family. Families need to train their children. We love all people. We're going to be kind to people, even people we don't agree with. That's what Christianity is about. It's about loving other people. I don't always agree with everybody. I don't know. I won't, I won't agree with everybody that's here today. I'm sure with stuff, but I'm going to love you anyway. Because that's what God wants me to do. We've got to train our children to do the very same thing. Love other people. Some of my closest friends in this world. Oh, I have some friends, some church friends. But I have some of my closest friends are people who don't even go to church with me. I, I, I try to reach out and be a friends with people that are nothing like me. I am friends with a Native American 
who served our country in the 90s. He is an alcoholic and he struggles massively with PTSD. He gets angry, he gets drunk, he runs most of his friends off. He's got a wife that somehow or another, he hadn't been able to run her off. But if I was her, I'd have been thinking a long time ago, why am I with this guy? But I refuse to let him run me off and we have coffee together. We spend time together. We, we have very little in common, but I'm his friend. He tells me often, you, you're about my only friend I got. I say, we're always going to be friends, Stan. His mouth isn't always what it should be. His words aren't always what they should be. But we built a friendship. We're working on that. And I want my kids to see, I don't have to have people that look like me and act like me to be my friends, to treat them in a, in a respectful, kind way. And my friend Stan, man, there are times at night I have to turn my phone off because sometimes when he's had too much to drink, he'll call me at 2 o'clock in the morning. But my friend Stan, if I ever ask him to do something for me, he would do anything. Anything. I called him the other day. How much time we got? I called him the other day and I said, hey, Stan. He said, I got a call from a lady out at a hotel that needs some help, and I can't find anybody to go with me, and I, I, I'm not going to go out there by myself. I'm a little uncomfortable doing that. Would you go with me? Couldn't find. Wasn't a stinking deacon anywhere to be found that day. <laughs> so I called Stan. I said, hey, Stan, I'm a little uncomfortable. I've got somebody at the hotel that needs some help. I don't want to go by myself. I'm a little worried about it. He said, come by, pick me up. I said, I'll be right there. So I didn't explain to Stan exactly all the details well enough on the phone. I realized that when he stuck his head out of the door as I was pulling up in front of his house and said, do I need to bring my pistol? <laughs> and I said, no, you don't need your pistol. <laughs> We're not going to kill anybody and nobody's going to kill us. I just need you there with me to hang out, you know, to go see what this person needs. But I remember thinking that day, my friend Stan loves me, despite the fact that we are two very, very different people. Lots of prayers need to be offered. You know that as well as I do. Lots of prayer. Pray for your kids every day. Every day you should be praying for your kiddos. Every day. Lee and I have a set time every day. We pray for our kids. Uh, love praying with her at nighttime and praying for our kids. Number seven. Plenty of playtime. Plenty of playtime. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. We'll follow up on a little bit more. You want to take over yeah. for a second? Yeah. Uh, if you have kids that you're still raising in the home, I want to especially talk to you right now and tell you that your children and raising your children, that is your greatest ministry at this time in your life. If you're raising children, that is your greatest ministry. There is no, no ministry that is more important than that right now. Uh, and this, we put this under playtime because <laughs> I guarantee you, everybody that's in here that their children are already gone from the home, empty nesters, would tell you, play with your kids every chance you get. Play with them every chance you get. Don't put them off. You know, if you think you have something that's important that needs to be done, don't put them off. Because, you know, especially teenagers, Trey talked about that yesterday. If your teenager comes in and they want to talk or they want to play a video game or they want you to go throw passes in the backyard, that opportunity may not come later. So don't put them off. They're your greatest ministry. Uh, little kids, if 
you've got little kids and they want you to build Legos, I guarantee you building Legos is more important than loading the dishwasher. If they want you to color pictures, that's more important than dusting the furniture. Your children are your greatest ministry. So keep that, please keep that in mind. I wish somebody had, when I was a young mom, had really driven that home to me. I think it was our fourth child before I really realized that things are more important than playing with my kids. Yeah, good point. And, and even when I get older, you'll find that playing with your kids is a lot of fun. Um, whether it's one of them that's going, hey, Dad, let's go fishing this afternoon. Uh, or, hey, let's go on a family hike today. Um, find time to play with your kids. That is just something your children need. And, and as Lee said, I'll, I'll remind you if you've got a teenager. I want to just throw this out there one more time. Uh, teenagers, yeah. Uh, Abraham sacrificed Isaac, and had he been a teenager, Isaac at the time, it might not have been as hard as we think it was to say, okay, I'll go kill him. Um, we've had teenagers. We understand it. Um, you, you have to revolve around them during that time. That's a time in their life to where their parents' opinion and their parents' time and they're doing hanging out with their parents isn't always the funnest thing. So when your kid comes in and says, let's do something, do it. You know, one of the greatest things I remember... Uh, was a, a, a Wednesday afternoon of all times when, when our, our about 17-year-old son came home from school and said something about, hey, I just found out today you can download video games on the, on the Wii. He said, I've always wanted to play that old Mario game that you talked about that you used to play. And I said, yeah, I was like the best, you know. And he said, let's see if it's on there. And, and sure enough, it was, and it was 13 bucks. And he said, he said, oh, can't ask you to spend that. And I said, would you play with me? And he said, yes. I said, that best 13 bucks I spent right there. I said, let's get it. We spent the next, I don't know, several hours playing video games together. Now, two or three things I, I learned that day. One, I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was, okay? <laughs> and there were plenty of times where my son would go, hey, hand me the controller and let me get you through this part, Dad. And I would be like, how do you know how to do all this stuff? You know, you've never played this game. There's just something about teenagers that know how to, how to do all this kind of stuff. But, uh, and, and the other thing was, was just the fact that there was unexpected quality time. You, you cannot plan quality time with your kids, especially your teenagers. There's no such thing as, hey, I'm free on Friday. Do you want to get some quality time in, son? Or, or sweetheart, daughter of mine, do you want to get some quality? It doesn't work out that. The only way you get quality time, it comes from quantity time. You just got to spend time with it. You never know where one of those special holy moments are going to be that that child someday as an adult talks about. Still today, remember that day we played video games all afternoon? And I go, yeah, one of the best days of my life. Best 13 bucks I ever spent. Because that day, we were father and son again. That day, you liked me. That day, we had a lot of fun laughing and playing. Those are healthy things. Anything else you're going to add, Miss Morgan? All right, teach your family to serve others. Teach your family to serve other people. If you were in class last year, we talked a little bit about this, or I talked a little bit about this. Lee does a much better job talking a little bit about this, and I'm going to turn it over to her. We've tried from the time our kids were very small to get them involved in serving others uh, alongside us. Um, from, the time that <clears throat> from the time they were very young, we've taken them on mission trips. Uh, from Canada to Mexico City to Honduras, uh, we, we didn't ever, there was never a time we thought they're too young to do that. Uh, we drug them right along with us, and they got to build houses. They got to 
uh, feed people in the dump. They got to take sandwiches to the poorest part of Mexico City and serve right along with us. And that was good for them. It was good for them to see that there are people that are not as privileged as we are. Um, at home, in this, you know, we, if I'm taking a meal to somebody that's had surgery, I would try to get the boys in the kitchen, even if all they could do was stir the brownies, and then, you know, maybe they helped me deliver them later. Uh, Trey would always try to get the boys, you know, the, the widow lady down the street needs her yard mowed, and he'd load them up and they'd go mow her yard. Um, we had a tornado that passed through town. It's been several years ago. Not a lot, I mean, nothing terribly at our house was damaged. The yard was a mess. We had huge tree limbs down, and that was pretty much uh, the extent of the damage all over town. Uh, our yard waited. Trey loaded a trailer up on the back of the pickup and, you know, told the boys, we're going around town, we're going to pick up people's limbs that don't have access to a trailer and a pickup, and our yard could wait. Uh, we've, we've tried to teach them that service to others is an important part of being a family. Yeah. Uh, we did something fun a couple of years ago at Christmas. Um, our kids are, are grown and out of the house, except we have, we have one that's a junior in high school, um, we don't need a lot at Christmas. Y'all know that. You know, we don't, we don't need a lot of gifts. So we decided it'd be fun if we uh, picked a family in town that, that uh, probably wouldn't do much celebrating of Christmas. They couldn't afford to buy gifts for each other. Uh, it was just a couple with no children. They really don't have much family to speak of. Uh, we tried to find out a little bit about their locks, uh, some things they might need. And uh, we told the boys, you know, we said, we want to do something fun this Christmas. When y'all come home, we're all going to pile in the car. We're going to go to Walmart. Uh, we're going to, you know, if y'all have $2 to spend and that's all you have to spend, then you go pick out a box of snacks or something that you can throw in the sack. Uh, but we had, uh, we had kids that bought steak dinners. They've never bought us a steak. No. <laughs> They bought steak dinners. One of the boys bought a big spread of breakfast food so this couple could have a big, you know, Christmas breakfast. Uh, they just thought that was more fun. We went home. We, you know, we put stuff, the food stuff in an ice chest. We uh, wrapped the gifts that were, that could be wrapped. We, you know, we'd gotten some clothing items, some books that we knew she liked to read. Uh, we wrapped things, and then we thought we're going to all pile in the car. We're going to take these, this package over, put it on their porch, and then sneak off. We didn't, you know, it, this was just going to be an anonymous thing that we wanted to do. Uh, it just so happened that it was a beautiful day on Christmas Eve. I think it was Christmas Eve. We tried to deliver the gifts. Beautiful day. They spent the entire day, this couple did, in their yard. So we drove by, you know, as close as we could about three different times and thought, you know, about an hour apart. And we thought, okay, this food has got to be delivered. Uh, so we finally just, you know, took it to their door and said, Merry Christmas. We love you guys. Uh, but that was just a fun way, even with our grown children, that we could still teach service to others. Yeah. Probably it was the first time they'd had Christmas in a long time, and maybe the last time that they've had Christmas since then. Uh, if you can find a family like that that you can adopt to say, hey, you know, whether it's a Christmas angel, whether it's a something, uh, there is somebody out there that you and your kids can go, hey, let's go shopping for this person and buy some things for them. But, but teaching your family to serve others is just such a good, good thing. Uh, we have always tried to set an example in 
Our, our kids aren't perfect. We're not perfect. There are things we don't do well. There are other things that we do do well. Um, we, we have always made it a habit. If there's somebody standing on a corner that's got a sign, they can be sitting in a dress, in a, in a suit, and look like they don't need it. But if you're holding a sign that says, I'm hungry and I need some funds, we're going we're gonna to hand them a, a dollar or two or some change. Our kids have watched that their entire life. That is just what we do. We keep change in our car. Here, take two or three bucks worth of change. Uh, my job is not to judge that person of whether they really need that or not. God will take care of all that. My job is to serve people. But my kids have learned that. And, and they're regulars at doing things along those lines. Uh, one of our college kids one time said, Dad, I had a guy calls me. This is a college kid. No money hardly. Came and, and, and called and said, Hey, Dad, there was a, a guy at a stoplight. And you know how we always help him. He said, This guy was actually washing windows. And he said, Can I wash your pickup windows? for just a couple of bucks and, and Parker said sure go right ahead and he said the light got ready to turn green the guy finished and I looked in my wallet dad and all I had was a $20 bill and I said what did you do he said I gave you my $20 bill and I, I remember thinking the kid did the right thing and, and as a dad I made sure that kid got 20 bucks back in his bank account right but when your kids make do things like that it makes you feel good you're thinking to yourself, yes, they're catching on, they're learning. Uh, and, and it didn't always work that way. I had one Sunday afternoon. I'm taking a nap in my recliner. You're supposed to. If you don't take naps on Sunday, there's something wrong with your theology. That's all I know. But I'm laid out in my chair and I get a message from my son going, hey, Dad, there's a homeless guy out here at Walmart, you know. And I send him a message back with like one eye open trying to wake up enough. And I said, well, help him. So he sends me a message back and he says, I am. I'm sending you a message to come do something. <laughs> I said, we don't do things like that. I said, God put him in your life. You see what he needs. Ask him what he wants. And if you can't help him, send me a message and I'll come back out. About 30 minutes later, he comes walking in the door. I said, I guess you got things taken care of. He said, yeah. He said he wanted a big bottle of water. So I bought him a bottle of water. And I said, there you go. We, we learn all the time. It's about serving other people. Number nine, learn that healthy families don't happen by accident. That's a huge thing. Healthy families, healthy marriages, good families, good marriages. You, you just don't wake up one day and go, wow, I don't know how I got such a good family or a good marriage. You have to work. Anybody that ever wants to get in shape and be a bodybuilder doesn't wake up the next morning and go, wow, where did these muscles come from? It doesn't work that way. You got to work at it. If you want a healthy family, it's going to take work. It's going to work whether they're 2, 12, or 22. It's going to take work. And there's always going to be ups and there's always going to be downs. And our family is not perfect. We've made bad decisions. Our kids have made bad decisions. It's going to take work. There will be no perfect families. Notice that doesn't say if you want a perfect family. There will never be a perfect family because God didn't create people to be perfect. There will never be a perfect marriage because there's no perfect people in this world. But there can be healthy families and healthy marriages and healthy relationships all because of good foundations of hard work that takes place. If you're going through a struggle in your family, a hard time, never be ashamed, afraid, embarrassed to seek help. 
Never be afraid to, you know, seek out a godly person that's been through what you are going through. There's so many good Christian books out there you can read. If, it, if you need a professional counselor, never be ashamed of that. Just work hard at building a healthy family, Don't whatever sweep, it takes. Don't sweep things under a rug. Worst thing you can do. We have, we have people in our lives, we have a couple in our lives that are probably 15, 20 years ahead of us in this world, meaning they've raised four boys. That's what kind of drew us to them. Their, their boys are all grown, married, everything. There are time, I don't know how many times we call them and go, how did y'all handle this? How did y'all handle that? Worst thing we can do is go, hey, we'll figure it out on our own. Now, usually that's when we figure something out wrong. Ask. Proverbs says it's the wise man who asks lots of people how to do something. Learn that. Two more points. Bell's about to ring. Unplug on occasion. This is healthy for families. Turn off the cell phone. Turn off the TV. Unplug. Spend some time together. Uh, play a board game. Dinner table for us was huge growing up. Huge. Supper time. We called it the dinner table, but it was supper time. You didn't, we don't start until everybody's there. And, and if you make us wait, everybody's going to be looking bad at you because we are hungry. But we all come. Your cell phone either remains in your pocket or you set it somewhere else. You are not allowed to answer a message or a phone call at the supper table. That is our holy time. That is our special family time. Take some time. Sadly, we don't have, families don't have family time around the dinner table anymore. Those are healthy. What, what made us appeal to the duck dynasties of this world and the, and the fixer-uppers of this world? And they come in and make these huge family tables because we have lost the beautiful holiness of family dinner time and supper time where you come together and say, how are you doing? What's going on in your world? Instead of eating in front of the television set. Learn to unplug. Have rules about... You know, at restaurants, when we all sit down at the table, you got about three or four minutes. Everybody can check your notifications or send a text message if you need to. But when the waitress comes and says, what do you want to drink? You put your phone up because that's our time. Number 11, men step up. Last one, men step up. I, I wanted to read it to you. I'll just tell you. Men have a such amazing dads you have such an amazing power I'm overwhelmed when I read statistics about men in prison and that 87% of the men in prison grew up in a fatherless home meaning fathers you have great power your kids need you as a part of their life they don't need you to be a passive dad that's just there your job is not just to bring home the paycheck your job is to be their father, to be at sporting events, to encourage them not just athletically, not just academically, but to challenge them spiritually. To tell them at times, you did awesome leading that prayer at church. Or to say, hey, we didn't handle that well. How can we do a better job next time? Dads, step up. Any job you ever get, you get a job description. And believe it or not, when you had children, when you brought a child in this world, God added to every man's job description, you are the spiritual leader of that child. You are the spiritual trainer of that child. It's on your job description. If you have kids, 
That's on your job. I don't want you getting up to heaven someday and going, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. You do now. That is your job. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, train your children. Not just how to hit a ball. I love that my kid can hit a ball and catch a ball. I love that my kid loves to play athletics. But I've told him a million times, I don't care how good you are, I'd rather you be a good Christian boy, a good Christian young man, than be a kid that can hit balls and catch passes. Because that's a whole lot more important. Adam, in Genesis 3, we, we give Eve a hard time. Satan comes and says, Eve, take a little bite of this. She goes, ooh, that looks good. Adam never says a word. Not a word. He's there watching the whole thing. You know what Adam should have done? Adam should, Adam should have stepped up and said, hey, God said no. God said we don't do that. And we're not going to do that. But he didn't. The Bible says she ate from the fruit. She gave some to Adam and he ate from it too. And then they realized they were naked. Shame had entered the garden. They went and covered themselves with some clothes and hid. God comes looking for them in the garden. You remember that story, right? God comes. God knows exactly what they've done. He knows exactly what Eve's done. Exactly what Adam's done. And guess who he calls out first? He calls out to the man, where are you? Because he holds him responsible. Adam, you should have stepped up. Where are you? And Adam says, I was hiding because I was afraid. Men, step up. Don't be afraid to be a good dad, a good husband. To be involved in your kids' lives, not just, not just athletically. We're really good at that. To be just as involved in our kids' lives spiritually. Encouraging them when they make good decisions. Sometimes having hard talks about things. Whether it be drinking, whether it be sex, whether it be whatever it is. Watching something sometimes. Man, I hate the music discussions. Had it with all of my kids. Is that a nice song you're listening to? Should you be listening to that song? I hate those conversations. But you know what? God said... That's your job. Do it. Men, step up. Tomorrow, we'll be in the Song of Solomon. Good stuff there. We're going to talk a little bit of marriage. We'll talk a little bit of family. Uh, we'll go from there. Thank you all for being in class. Let's have a word of prayer. They hadn't honked that horn. Let's have, have a quick word of prayer. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for families. Thank you for giving us families. For kids, uh, we are rich. We are so wealthy, Father, and it has nothing to do with bank accounts. It has to do with relationships. Thank you so much for our family, for our husband, our wives, our kids, our grandkids, our parents. May we realize just how rich we are. And Father, we offer this prayer in your son's name. Amen.